Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, loving Father, we pray that you would remember your word to your servants, that you have shown forth your hope, that this would be our comfort in our affliction, that we would see your promises and that they would give us life. As those around us must, might deride us, we pray that we would not turn away from what you have given to us in your word. That when we think of the promises of old, we would take comfort in them. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 to 12. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father, Reuben. You are my firstborn, my might and my first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, and be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they harmed hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down and crouched as a lion. And as a lioness who dares rouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine. He was washed his garments in wine, his vesture vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Throughout all of Genesis, we have seen the promise of God continue right from that very moment when Adam and Eve fell And God approached them in the garden and he made the first promise of the gospel. That through the line of the woman, the line of promise, there would be one who would come who would crush the head of the serpent. 
whose enemy would be defeated. And when we look at chapter 48, we see now this this blessing passed down to Jacob's children. Throughout this line, we have seen this promise been fulfilled, passed down from Adam to Seth, from Seth all the way to Noah, from Noah all the way to Abraham, then from Abraham to Isaac, to Isaac to Jacob. But now we are at a crossroads where this promise seeks to to be fulfilled through the nation of Israel, to Jacob's children. That promise which appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that from you, go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we see this promise pass from Abraham to Isaac, now to Jacob, and now This promise does not follow to fall on one person. This promise falls to the blessing of all of his children. That through these two chapters, chapter 48 and now chapter 49, this promise speaks to the nation of Israel. This week we will see this promise passed. And then we'll continue to look at this next week as it is continued to pass on. We see this as Jacob, on his deathbed, speaks as a prophet. Speaks of what is going to happen. See this in the first two verses. That Jacob called his sons and said to them, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Israel. Listen to your Israel, your father. Now we see this. As we unpack this promise, we'll see this, but I want to turn quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we see the nation of Israel set before, and in Deuteronomy 6 we see the same thing spoken. Deuteronomy 6, in verse 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that I may go well, go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Now as they're about to stand and step into the promised land, they're told the same thing. Hear. And in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. But here we see that promise continues now as Israel gathers his children and says, Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Now as we see this chapter in particular, we need to understand how we are going to approach this. We see many different promises and fulfillments of these promises in various layers. The first, which is quite clear, as we will see, is the promise of Christ. 
This promise right from Genesis 3.16 that there is one who has come who's going to crush the head of the serpent is now passed to Israel as Christ comes. Seen it throughout Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That this blessing is fulfilled in Christ. That all of these promises that are unfolding in Genesis are fulfilled when Christ comes. Saw it in Abraham, the promise of offspring. I'll make you into a great nation. All through you, all the nations will be blessed. Paul looks back at this promise in Galatians chapter 3 and says, If you are in Christ, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. He looks back and says that promise is not merely just for the children of Abraham born of the flesh, but the children of Abraham born through faith. Or the promise of Jacob's ladder, the angels ascending and descending, we find out in John chapter 1 that speaks of Christ. However, we need to be cautious that as we see Christ in these promises, we don't see Christ in all of these passages. And if we seek to be able to find Christ in every single line of this, we will be grasping for straws. We are given all of the Old Testament to show forth Christ, to be able to see Him. And as even in Genesis 3.15, we see the seed of the promise of the gospel, but we don't understand the fullness of that promise of the gospel as we see it grows throughout all of Genesis, throughout all the Old Testament. So as we see, we see and grow in our understanding of Christ to come, but it's not necessarily in every single passage we see this. What does it then mean that his teeth are whiter than milk? So if we see Christ in this, but only Christ in this, then I think we'll have a difficult time interpreting it. That's why we see more promises and fulfillments of this. The second is the promise and fulfillment of land. One aspect of this passage is that we will see, if we read, continue to read through the Old Testament, particularly in Joshua, we see the fulfillment of this promise of where the tribes of Israel will dwell. That here, by faith, Jacob is, is telling them of what's going to happen in the days to come. That even though that they're living in the land of Egypt at this time, that these promises will be fulfilled once they inhabit that land. When we think about this moment in time, when Jacob is on his deathbed, that he is about to go and be gathered to his fathers. He has seen in the last 17 years his family multiply as God had promised he would do. But still, he knows the promise of God, that God was not just giving him a promise of making him a great nation, but a great nation with a land. And he has this promise of land in his mind as he's blessing his family. But if we only look for the promise of Christ and the promise of land, then we will be short yet once more. We then see the third thing we see is the promise of blessings. And curses. 
Now, some of these might not be best called blessings. Maybe curses is not the correct word or term for them. Just as like Esau received a a blessing from his father Isaac, and Ishmael even received some blessing from Abraham, they yet did not receive the full blessing. It was a relative blessing, or even as we saw last time with Ephraim and Manasseh. That Ephraim was put before Manasseh, that Ephraim was always going to be greater than Manasseh. Manasseh receives a blessing, but it's not as great a blessing. And some of these things that Jacob tells of his children are not positive, you might say. They're blessings to some extent, or promises, but they're not very positive. So we have the promises and fulfillment of Christ, the promise fulfillment of the land, and the promise and fulfillment of the blessings and curses. The fourth one is the promise and the fulfillment of the story of Israel. Jacob says right at the very beginning that these are the, what is going to happen in the days to come. And what you see here, Jacob acts as a prophet, speaking forth events that will take place throughout all the nation of the history of Israel. That some of these are not just fulfilled in, in land, but some of these are fulfilled in what happens to the tribes which these, these sons represent. And the fifth one is not so much a promise or fulfillment, but that of the personality of a son is found in the persona of the tribe. I'm sure someone has written about this at great length. Maybe shows the importance of the culture that a leader imparts. Liberal scholars would probably emphasize this, that they look back and they say, well, they reverse engineered it. That as they looked and saw the, the, the persona of the tribe, and then they put it in the person the mythological person which they talk about in Genesis. However, we don't see that the case. We know that God, through faith, can use a man as a prophet to be able to tell. Now, we won't spend a lot of time on that one in particular, but those first four. And I think you'll see aspects of them in various sons, some emphasized over others. But I think that helps us to not be confined by Christ in every word, but also not just merely that this is just a uh, just fulfilled in the days to come, in the moments past. So, as Maria says in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So, we'll begin with Reuben. Reuben is first, and Jacob speaks to Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and my firstfruits and my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed and then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. You see, even here, the the personal nature of this, Jacob speaking to his son, and even you went up to my couch. 
We looked at this in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 where although Reuben is firstborn of Israel, but because of his, what he did to his father's couch, his birthright was, not passed down, it was passed down to the sons of Joseph. Now, for Reuben, as the firstborn, should receive the most important blessing, the greatest inheritance. All, basically, that the father has is his. But he does not receive that for his action with his father's concubine, Bilhah. Now we see Abraham is a sinner, Isaac is a sinner, Jacob is definitely a sinner. But why this? Why then does Reuben lose his birthright? Now I think the greatest explanation I saw was that his action was not merely just seeking to be able to have sexual pleasure, but rather was a claim on the inheritance His action was to say that, Jacob, you are dead to me. Now, we don't know for sure, but possibly he is like Esau, who desired the physical blessing given from his father, but not the true promise of God. Now, this is all speculation. It does appear that his life is somewhat turned around, With the story of uh, Joseph, he seems to take a predominant role in caring for his son, uh, Jacob's son. But ultimately, in all of this, we do not be—we're not able to be able to choose who, or understand who the potter chooses, how he molds the clay. Ultimately, Jacob says that he does not get preeminence, somewhat of an anti-blessing. But this is somewhat of a fulfillment. Out of the tribe of Reuben, no judge, no prince, no prophet, no ruler will come from the line of Reuben. Should have been firstborn, taken preeminence, but because of his water-like stability, he does not have preeminence. Actually, there's one example of those out of the tribe of Reuben. Two people, Dathan and Abraham, in Numbers chapter 16. These two people seek with others to be able to take and take Moses, rise to preeminence themselves, but that is not a good end for them. So we see this fulfilled in their tribe. The second, the two brothers of Simeon and Levi, paired together, mainly because of their actions in Genesis chapter 34. And in their actions, they're then known for this one moment and one word that repeats throughout all of this. Shows that their emotion. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel, O my glory. Be not joined in their company. For in their anger they killed men. In their willfulness they hamstrung, hamstrung oxen. 
Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Jacob has never condoned their actions, although we might understand their sympathetic emotions for what the, the people of Shechem did to Dinah. They went above and beyond, not just getting vengeance on the son of Shechem, but then to be able to wipe out a whole nation because of his actions. And Jacob, looking back on this, said, Cursed be their anger. This is exactly the same word which is spoken over the serpent, spoken over Cain, spoken over Ham's son Canaan. Now, interestingly, it is not that they are cursed, but their anger is cursed. But the promise is that of that they will be divided in Jacob, scattered in Israel. We see that in that promise land fulfillment. Simeon gets a small piece of land. He does not get many cities to his name. And when they're counted in this census, Simeon is the smallest of the tribes. We also see this promise throughout the life of Israel as they live. In Deuteronomy 33, he gets no mention. All the other tribes get a mention, but he's overlooked in Deuteronomy chapter 33. His share is that of with Judah. Levi. He also does not get any land. He actually gets no land of his own. He only gets to dwell in the land of his brothers. The priests get no allotment, but get portions throughout all of Israel, scattered throughout all of Israel. Now he does get the tribe, as a tribe, are the tribe of priests. But that even is a temporal thing, not an eternal blessing. Levi, the one who once slaughtered all of the men of Shechem, will now spend years and generations using the sword to make sacrifices for the sins of themselves and the people of Israel. Levi, once covered with blood of men, will now be covered with blood of lambs and goats and bulls, year after year, making atonement for the sacrifices of the sins of the people. Now, we do not see in this passage specifically the type of Christ in the priesthood. We will. I think it is a jump then to see in this here the promise of the priesthood in this passage. But what we see is their blood was spilled. The author of Hebrews in chapter 7 says, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? That here, we don't see the fulfillment of the promise of the priesthood through Levi, it comes through the line of Judah through Jesus, through the priesthood of Melchizedek. 
Now, that does not mean we do not see types and shadows under Levitical priesthood. But I think here, to emphasize that might be dangerous. In Levi, I think you see the need for the Savior. That a sinner needs to make a sacrifice to atone for their sins. The author of Hebrews says that perfection was not obtainable underneath Levi. His priesthood we saw, the imperfections, but the need for the type to actually come, the fulfillment of that promise. But thirdly, the fourth son, the third blessing or promise is found in Judah. Now we all know the ending. We know the focus. We here see another seed that is planted that will tremendously grow throughout all of the scriptures. Jacob begins firstly with a play on words as he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Praise in Hebrew is Yada. Yada and Judah. We know that we will see kings who will come from this line of promise. We have known there, there will be kings who come from Abraham, who come from Jacob. In Genesis chapter 16, God tells Abraham that I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Genesis chapter 35, God tells Jacob that I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. Now we see that promise and fulfillment in, in, in a small little way and Kings will come from Judah, specifically that line. We get more information about which tribe the king shall come from. Now, Judah is a sinner, just like Reuben, just like Simeon, just like Levi. We saw this very plainly plainly in Genesis 38. However, through Judah... Jacob, through faith, gives him preeminence. He will be a ruler. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, we cannot just merely look at this and make some loose connection to this, that here we see some, some idea or imagery of a king, and then immediately jump to Christ and see this fulfilled. We actually can actually turn right to the very last book of the Bible, from the first book of the Bible, to be able to see the fulfillment of this promise in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. As the elders turn to John the Apostle, The elders tell him, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
We see the king who finally conquers and where he will come from. That seed in promise in Genesis 3.15 that he will crush the head of the serpent. And here we see the Judah. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. The lion of Judah fulfilled as he crushes, as he conquers Revelation. You take it a, a step further, a, a little bit back, and the author of Hebrews points out that it is well known of Jesus where he comes. In Hebrews chapter 7, just a few verses after we read before in verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord was a descendant from Judah. And in connection, that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Or a chapter later in 8 verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, where I'll establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The author is actually quoting Jeremiah 31. So this promise is not just a fulfillment found here in Genesis 49 and right at the end of Revelation 5, but in Hebrews, but then also in Jeremiah chapter 31. But throughout all the Old Testament, the promise is that king and with his kingdom that come from the line of Judah. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, and you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This king who is promised who will come, who will come from the line of Judah. We see a partial fulfillment in that of David, the king who comes from the line of Judah. But yet this king is given another promise, that he shall build a house for my name. David's son who will live after him after he goes to lie down with his fathers and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This promise which is in seed that grows and, and unveils and is, is an unfolding. That when God the Son comes to earth to dwell among his people, he begins his ministry and he says, as he begins to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. line of king and his kingdom found here Judah the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and he shall have and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples this fulfillment of Christ coming to rule his kingdom just as the thief hung on the cross and said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns to him and says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the beautiful thing in all of this. 
Now, if we try and look at how the Lord works, why Reuben or why not Reuben compared to Judah? Why Simeon and Levi? We try to work all of this out, we will be left dumbfounded. We will not be able to work out why a certain person is a type or a shadow or a certain aspect has a type or a shadow connected and why another is not. We will not be able to work out why a particular tribe or person deserves a position and another person does not. We will not, if we look at this with flesh eyes, be able to work out that equation. We would be left asking the same question that Paul asks in Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul answers, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it depends not on human will or excursion, but on God who has mercy. That as Jacob here is on his deathbed, as his promises are passed to his sons as the nation of Israel. The story of Israel is not about the good, the bad, and the ugly as we see in the people before us. But only the story about bad and ugly people and a good God who shows his mercy to the bad and the ugly. He uses men like Levi who were sinners who slaughtered men to be able to slaughter sacrifices to hold the office of priest as they point forward to Christ, to make atonement for the sin of the people. He uses men like Judah who through the worst, thought the worst of his daughter-in-law, but in fact it was his sons who were wicked, who slept with her because he thought maybe she was a prostitute. And it's through this that Judah, the Christ, comes, the king who sits on his throne, his scepter does not depart from his hand. But it's even more than that. It's through this, these sinful people that Christ is exalted. That he takes a name like Judah and turns it that people will praise him. Judah, your brothers will praise you. That Judah is praised because of what Jesus does. That Jesus redeems his name for his name's sake. And this is the story of Israel. This is the story of God's people. The good God and the bad and ugly people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. A gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you for the real men and women who walked this earth who we read about in the scriptures. Lord, that if we were to try and work out why one deserves one thing and another deserves or receives another, we would be left scratching our heads. For it is only by grace, only by your mercy that we get anything. If you treated us as we deserved, Lord, we would be hopeless and helpless. But yet through Christ, the one who is promised throughout all the scriptures, comes to rule his kingdom, to welcome in those with him forever in his paradise. We pray that we would exalt your name, O Lord. 
come underneath your rule. Be servants of the High King. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.